like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to Go Big Orange Friday on a Friday. Ryan Shepard, Ethan Stone, both been grinding really, really hard this early morning uh, on Go Big Orange Friday. Ryan specifically has been up for hours working, um, and I, I just... I admire his work ethic. It gets me going. It makes sure that I stay on track to see how the youths are uh, are taking care of business. So, Ryan, good morning. How are you? I'm good. I don't appreciate uh, that comment. I mean, I have earned the hate for wearing Alabama colors in the past. I'm wearing it again today. Yes, I got you are. my Pine Cove bright crimson shirt on. Mm-hmm. Check the stats. Check the Rocky <laughs> Top Insider website. I've been doing work this morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the haters and losers do not want to acknowledge it for some reason, but which there are many, <laughs> which there are so so many. But besides the unprompted, uh, unprovoked attack from Chase this morning, I'm doing great. Ethan, long time no see. How was your Thanksgiving? How's life been over the last uh, few weeks? It's been great. Uh, college football season winding down is really put a toll on me i guess mm. <laughs> i've been working like i mean absolute crazy so i've not been able to be here but thankfully or maybe not thankfully actually college football season is one to a close and as are my hours so that's nice wow wishing for the end of college football you get to a point where you, you can only do so many uh uh nights till 4 a.m in the morning doing bowl projections in week three mm. <laughs> what kind of coke are you drinking that's like a different color what is that vanilla. oh vanilla coke this might be a little war uh, between Ryan and Ethan because Ryan's just like the diehard uh, Dr. Pepper guy. Mm. Vanilla Coke, very good as well. So no, <laughs> no hate from my, from my direction. There we go. I, I don't think I've had a Vanilla Coke. Ever? I mean, no, I'm from Atlanta, so it was on the table at some point. But, um, no, fit... I know all about it. <laughs> 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 I'm from Atlanta. <laughs> Not my, uh, not my first rodeo. Yeah, what, what are we doing here? The, the heart of Coke. That's like one of the things you do when you're a kid. They're like, hey, you're going to the Coca-Cola uh, factory, and that's mm-hmm. that's that. That's our Willy Wonka is yeah. uh, the Coca-Cola factory and being able to try all the different flavors and all that when you're a kid. Um, it's every kid's school field trip who lives in the greater Atlanta area at some point. Um, but no, I think it was, I probably was 15, 14. And it was like, I remember it was like the really small ones. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom was like, I don't trust you with the the normal. I don't know what the difference in ounces per can, but I remember it was like one of those little small um, 
small ones and it was just like mm-hmm. what is the point what are we doing here this is like <laughs> a, a sip do i want a couple sips of vanilla coke on this afternoon no yeah. mom how am i going to play crash bandicoot with some sips of vanilla coke if you want me <laughs> to dominate like i am capable of with spyro with crash with madden and to really kick some ass we got to up the sugar intake here and don't just t- tease me with a good time with vanilla coke now let's go two liter let's get some two liter action going i it just never happened fun world of coke story um my only time having ever gone was the monday tennessee played georgia tech back in 2017 open the season chick play mm-hmm. kickoff so tons of tennessee fans uh there as one would expect and some sounded like from her accent european woman walked up to me and goes what's a what's a vool everybody's walking around in shirts that say bulls <laughs> mm-hmm. i was like no it's it's a ball uh, ball in, short for volunteer the uh, nickname for the university of tennessee but that's my uh, that's my world of coke story what's a vool what's a vool? I like it yeah <laughs> amazing um well there you go um Y'all, we have some Tennessee football to talk about. Uh, a lot of people entering the portal. Uh, most expected, uh, by by and large, I think. Um, Ryan, when you look at the names that have entered the portal thus far, is there any big surprises for you? No, not really. Uh, I think all of them you could see coming. I mean, Jimmy Callaway would have been shocking if he didn't enter the portal. And Miles Campbell, I think, is kind of the what – and it's kind of the same way with Jimmy Callaway because I've been on that bandwagon, but it's been far enough removed. But I think both those guys, you look at them, they're real talented. Uh, at least they have talent. They had potential to make a real impact at Tennessee. So I think it's it's disappointing that that didn't come to fruition, but uh, not super surprising. I think when you look at the portal action for Tennessee this week, what stands out is that Jimmy Holiday and Jimmy Callaway have some sort of pact where they have to do everything in their career the exact same way. <laughs> Jimmy is in the same recruiting class, both played uh, quarterback in high school. They were number nine and number 10 to start their career. And they entered the transfer portal within an hour of each other. They just tied together their whole career and they go out the same way. Are they the friends? Same day. I don't know to what. I mean, I'm sure they're probably friendly. They're both being but they're not like roommates class. like Joe and Hinden. Not that I know of, no. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, and I think uh, the Miles Campbell thing ethan is interesting to me because warren's probably gone princeton fan we know is gone he's 37 and (laughs) there's no depth like we're gonna see they're trying to get the kid from shorter uh mortlick Uh, i'm gonna call him matlock until uh until he is officially a vol and until i officially want to learn his real name but he is from shorter and we'll see if uh that winds up but like there's no depth like charlie browder who we brought over from ucf in the transfer portal but like for Miles to leave now with the opportunity going into next year tells me that they informed him, like, it's just you're not a fit in this offense. This is, this is not going to happen because there is all kinds of possibilities right there for Miles and with his talent in this offense next year with how much uh, how many guys are leaving that um, it must be just, no, this is you're, there's still no path, and that's kind of like, it's time for you to move on. Um, is that kind of your sense, uh, Ethan? I'm not 100% because I believe Jacob Warren has one more year. Am I right? I know Princeton fan. He is, can, but it I, seems I, I like think... everyone said that he's – didn't he walk through uh, senior day, Ethan? I'm I'm not 100% I'm... sure. Ryan would have to confirm. Ryan, did yeah, okay. I believe so. Uh-huh. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, even still, I, I, I agree. That was the one that was the weirdest, but, I mean, mm-hmm. none of them really shocked me. Even that doesn't shock – I mean, he hasn't seen the field. Miles Campbell hasn't. So – 
and definitely doesn't shock me. But that's the one I feel like, you know, Holiday and Callaway, I feel you got receivers leaving also. So I guess you could say, I, I don't know, maybe they could step up against some time, but it never really felt like they ever had a chance of seeing the field. Campbell, I feel like there is a chance just down the road. He just kind of had to wait his turn. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it very much seems like you're correct. Like someone was just like, hey, you might just want to transfer to FAU or something like that. <laughs> go, go, with, go with Tom Herman uh, coming over from Texas. From the Chicago Bears, actually, I found out. Do you know that Tom Herman was an offensive analyst? On the I show? didn't know that. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my team. I had no idea. <laughs> I guess the Bears are down an offensive analyst now. <laughs> well, if you're ever wondering if there's a Bear, an ex-Bears official, what he's doing now, he's somewhere in the Atlanta Falcons front office, I can promise you. Yeah. Like, the Bears so, and Falcons have this very weird tie. It's, yes. I, I don't know what it is. It's very strange. But Like Ryan Pace and Phil Emery are both in the Atlanta payroll right now. Mm. And anytime you have an opportunity to rebuild the, the Bears, the mid-aughts, that's what you got to do um, yeah. down in Atlanta. Uh, Ryan, do you foresee any other big-ish names entering the portal uh, from Tennessee in the coming days? Uh, big-ish, I guess so. I, I expect Justin Williams Thomas uh, to enter. I mean, I think there's been some some rumblings about that this week. He's removed all his Tennessee stuff from his mm-hmm. bio, uh, and you look at it again. It's fourth running back. He was fourth running back this year, the lowest under the totem pole uh, of the scholarship running backs. All those guys are expected to be back. Uh, again, next year, hard to see a path to him uh, breaking through and really getting any playing time. So, again, that's not necessarily a guy I think Tennessee would have liked to lose, but I think it's it's very understandable and probably was inevitable given kind of where he was at and, and how Dylan Sampson has broken out and really how you know Jalen Wright continues to develop into, into the running back that I think we all thought he was going to be in, in time, but that's all gone uh Harford, of course, at this point. So I think it, it didn't make it a surprise that, or won't make it a surprise if Justin Williams Thomas ends up in the portal. Do you think they add another running back though? Because Kenneth Whitehead's obviously in the portal too, and they didn't get him at all last year. But it's like that's a lot of pressure on Khalifa Keith coming in uh, to stay healthy and really get ready. Um, different kind of back, kind of the Whitehead type back, and um, the change of pace they wanted, but. I don't know. That seems like another thin running back room going into next year. And they got lucky and fortunate with a lot of their running back health uh, all year this year. But I would be a little concerned about following the same uh, path next year. You're right. I think that's somewhere they will look at. But I don't think it's going to be like a definitive take. I mean, I think you could see Cameron Selden start his career at running back and Mm. play a lot more running back next year if need be uh, from a depth perspective. But I think that's somewhere to watch. and, And going to be just about like that everywhere that i mean there's hardly a position you can look at on this roster and you're like yeah they wouldn't take somebody if the right person presents itself and i think that's kind of the same uh with running back i i don't think it's as pressing as the neatest tight end is uh which to your point a minute ago i wouldn't be surprised if tennessee takes two tight ends out of the portal and i think tennessee will be able to which not that they couldn't attract a good running back but i think there will be less good running backs in the portal than there are receivers and i think tennessee will probably be aggressive going after at least the top receivers in the portal as well if you're tennessee you go after brock bowers in the portal right ethan like that's one of your first calls you're like hey i, I don't see why not <laughs> give tony gonzalez a call <laughs> see what happens. does he have any eligibility left um we're asking there you go uh how should Tennessee fans, Ethan, feel ultimately about this season? Now that it's over, 10-2, and two, only one of us in this podcast 
uh, said that Tennessee would win 10 games this year. Only one of us in this podcast said that Tennessee would split Georgia and Alabama. Only one person on this podcast said that Tennessee would also have one of the dumbest heartbreaking losses to really drive that sword in your back there. Um, shout out to South Carolina and the name searcher himself. Um, Ethan, with all that being said, how do Tennessee fans feel about this season or how should they in your estimation? I have, I have a very strong take on this. And I think, I think anyone freaking out over a 10 and two season and Josh Heupel's second year is, is insane. I, I really think that, I mean, at the beginning of the year, you say you have LSU, Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. Mm-hmm. Of those at the beginning of the year, I mean, people were like, win one or two. And then Tennessee went and won three of them. And and Georgia's looking like they're going to repeat uh, while, while we're at it. So um, with, with Georgia being as good as they are and that really being the one loss other than the South Carolina one and, you know, going 10 and two and if Ohio State wasn't whining about the Rose Bowl, probably an Orange Bowl appearance. And I mean, you can't get much better than that, in my opinion. Sure, you lost out to South Carolina and, you know, stuff like that happens. But Tennessee, for the first time in a while, actually has like a chance to sniff at the college football or had a chance to sniff at the college football playoff. Anyone telling you that preseason? I mean, you'd say they're nuts. <laughs> you'd say that they're on some sort of drug or something like that for, for Tennessee to even be close to competing. I mean, everyone, myself included, thought this was an 8-9 win team at the beginning of the year. And sure, you lose to South Carolina, but to be honest with you, I mean, South Carolina's playing really well right now. So, I mean, it's it's the same team that lost 38-6 to to Florida a week before, and it's an awful, awful loss. But at the same time, you can't walk away from this season saying, oh, it's a failure because – one game didn't go your way. Whereas, you know, you still broke the streak with Alabama. You still broke a streak with Florida that was starting to get going again. I mean, you're miles ahead of where Florida is right now. You're not miles ahead of Alabama, but you're at the point where you're competing with them. I mean, it, it's it, it's a no-brainer in my opinion. And now we're in the perfect space when the playoff uh, expands to 12 teams. And it will, is it for next year or the year after next? Year the year after, after next. Yeah. So we get one more year, uh, and then it's like, hey, we're in the perfect spot where you avoid the SEC title game. You can go ten and two and make the playoff every year. Like you can just split Georgia and Alabama. And that's uh, you're going to be in business. Um, I don't know. I wonder too, Ryan. When you look at this, is interesting to me because if you, well, like, what if Tennessee beats South Carolina? They come back and they beat South Carolina because they were moving the ball a bunch um, on South Carolina. They just had to kind of go away from the run. They were able to run uh, all over them. It's just they, the, <laughs> the defense could not get a stop, so they had to kind of abandon what was working all night. But they were able to do a lot against that South Carolina defense, and it really wasn't over until early in the fourth um, after the fumble when Hendon went down. But, I mean, if Hendon – like, let's say you come back and win, but you still lose Hendon, would that hurt worse – to like be 11 and one and make the playoff, but you don't have Hendon Hooker. It, would that have been worse if Tennessee actually came back and still didn't have Hooker? I think the what if factor of it, you know, would be worse because yeah. Joe Milton's not not winning a playoff game. Um, <laughs> and I think there would always be, you know, what happens if you have Hendon Hooker? Yeah. And I'm not going to say Tennessee wouldn't have had a chance, but to win a game in the playoff. But I don't think this was a, a national championship quality team, even if if Hendon Hooker was healthy. And I think even mm-hmm. if you look at it. We've all just assumed TCU and USC were going to lose, but yep. we're two games away from Tennessee not making the playoff, even if they did go 11-1, and one, which yeah. I think Tennessee fans need to pull four. 
for that? all of our sanity we need to pull for that because like then you're like hey it doesn't that matter would that would have hurt so much worse mm -hmm. if, if tennessee's only loss was to georgia they whipped everybody else and tcu makes it in in, in ahead of them i mean genuinely if that if that ends up what happens I, I don't know that that would just have been terrible. I feel like I feel like someone would be burning some bridges down in Knoxville if, if that had happened. Tennessee demands a uh, neutral site against TCU next year. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Heupel himself. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh but at the same time, I, I mean, I will say you're right. Like for a sanity standpoint, I think that would make Tennessee fans feel a lot better. But I mean, Ethan, and maybe we're, we're going to get to this later, but Ethan hit the nail on the head. I mean, the Big Ten power play here, like I've never seen before, to get Penn State to the Rose Bowl. Tennessee kind of needs one of those teams to lose now to get Ohio State to the playoffs so they can go yeah. to the Rose Bowl and play yeah. – or not the Rose Bowl, they can go to the Orange Bowl and play North Carolina and Clemson instead of going to the Cotton Bowl and playing Tulane or UCF. That would be kind of fun, though, UCF. Tennessee. Yeah, it would be, it'd be a no. fun story. Yeah, it wouldn't be even sure. close to as fun as Tennessee knocking off Dabo, but, you know. I mean that the coach that everybody wanted originally, Gus Malzahn, was like, "What? He's just sitting there. Why doesn't Tennessee just hire Gus Malzahn?" That was the number one choice uh, right away. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think some Tennessee fans would be pretty bummed if the way the season ended was a UCF ball game based yeah, on yeah. Uh, where it was and just being number one in the CFP at one point. Um, man, that's I'm, wild. I'm a college football pl playoff expansion and Tennessee playing UCF in the Cotton Bowl after the power <laughs> play the Big Ten pulled would have me ready for an expanded playoff. <laughs> so explain what happened there, Ryan. I'm not familiar with it yet. Yeah, so it, here's basically, you know, all these the New Year's Six Bowl games, there's mm. the, the bowls can't just take who they want, like right. the Citrus Bowl or an Outback Bowl. There's tie-ins. Sugar Bowl has to take the SEC winner and the Big 12 winner unless those two teams are in the playoffs and they have to take the highest ranked team from each conference orange bowl is the same way you gotta take the acc winner and if they don't take the acc or if the acc winners in the playoff they gotta take the next highest ranked acc team and then they take the next highest ranked power five team that is not in the rose bowl the sugar bowl or the playoff and the rose bowl we know has direct tie-ins with the pac-12 and the big 10 but the language is much less clear and uh, it's very vague the rose bowl language where instead of saying you have to take the next highest ranked team if the big 10 champion is in the playoff it says you most likely have to take most likely take the highest ranked team but if that team is in a cluster a cluster of teams we have the of choosing who we want well essentially ohio state since they played there last year the big 10 kevin warren seeing the opportunity here says well penn state's eight it's five that's a cluster mm. we can put penn state in the rose bowl since and one of the things they have is how many times the team's played there recently. They don't want to have a bunch of the team play there a bunch. So Rose Bowl just takes Penn State over Ohio State. And then the way to Orange Bowl, there's no vagueness in the language. They have to take the highest ranked team that's Power 5 team. Ohio State would be ranked ahead of Tennessee. Orange Bowl would be forced to take Ohio State, which would then drop Tennessee to where Penn State, the lower ranked team, originally would have been in the Cotton Bowl. Ooh. It's pretty. There's really nothing. There's really nothing anybody can do about it. Yeah. I mean, because the, the language is ruined. It. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, give Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, credit for seeing this possibility and saying let's make it happen. Because there's really, I mean, Danny White can throw a fit about it. Greg Sankey can throw a fit about it. But there's really nothing they can do to change it because of how uh, definitive the tie-ins for all the other New Year's Six Bowl games that are, where the Rose Bowl was honestly smart and made their language very vague and gives itself the flexibility to basically do whatever it wants. 
that's, that's wild. That's another reason why Alabama being ranked ahead of Tennessee, I feel like, had so many ruffled feathers because if Alabama was ranked below Tennessee right now, like if Tennessee was the was the six or the five or whatever, then they'd, they'd just bypass this issue and they'd be in the Sugar Bowl. Mm-hmm. Against, yeah. But as of right now, the Sugar Bowl is Alabama's to lose. I mean, I, I don't even see a point in which Tennessee could leapfrog them now because they've already said it unless they just kind of want to go back on it, which they won't. So, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the, the Sugar Bowl is already locked up. It's going to be Alabama and Kansas State. And, I mean, everything that Ryan said is 100% correct. It's going to be Tennessee and the Cotton Bowl versus one of Tulane or UCF unless Ohio State makes the playoff. The real backbreaker for Tennessee would be if LSU somehow upsets Georgia, then Tennessee probably goes to the Citrus Bowl. They don't even make a New Year's Six Bowl. <laughs> Can you maybe, imagine? <laughs> maybe in that case, the committee would use win as justification for Tennessee to jump Alabama yeah. because I'm sure the New Year's Six Bowls do want Tennessee because it'll bring a lot more fans than Alabama mm-hmm. or, or will, but. Most likely, if LSU wins, Tennessee's going to go to the Citrus Bowl. Against which would Purdue. Be... Against Purdue. Is the... <laughs> I get... That makes it the best of all of it. Is Tennessee would just get to play Purdue again. <laughs> totally different that. year, and you just end up the exact same way as the year prior. That would just be rough. I came, Every single I came to this realization. Out. Yeah. <laughs> I came to this realization like two days ago. I was like, this is going to happen. I mean, it's just, this is, the stars are aligning perfectly. LSU is going to beat Georgia by 30 and Tennessee's going to get Purdue and Purdue's going to win by like three points in, in the worst way possible. That's horrific. I don't like any of this. <laughs> Please All because help. Of Ohio State. Um, I also just think, I don't know if y'all are in the same boat, but like and I'm sure if you got the committee behind closed doors and this is something I got Matt on the pod to finally admit this uh, parsing through it this week where uh, obviously he's a dire UGA guy and I was uh, basically the I got him to the point where I'm like you would rather why would you rather play TCU than Alabama or Ohio State in the one four why why get why are it why do you want it why do you want TCU in there so bad it's not because of the best story. It's not. That's not what any Georgia fan wants. That's not why any Michigan fan wants. It's like we all know why you actually want that. There are people who still are like you've been so harsh on Ohio State because it was fun. They got drubbed. Like it was. It was funny. Ohio State's favored by I think two scores against TCU on a neutral side. I think when there is a point where it's like TCU is struggling to get by a bad Baylor team. They're struggling to get by Kansas. They're struggling to get by. You go up and down the list. Like every game is just like pulling teeth and they're like, Oh, the big 12 is just, uh, it's, it's one of those conferences this year where everything's weird. It's like, no, it's not. It's just TCU is kind of okay, but they just keep winning. The whole conference they're, is kind of average. That's kind of what we're looking at. They're a team touched by God. Like that is the yeah. only. It's the only explanation. But no one actually believes they're one of the four best teams in college football. No one actually that. believes that. No, no one actually believes they're better than Tennessee. No one actually believes they're better than Alabama or Ohio State. Ohio State has only. I mean, no, Alabama two losses by combined four points. It's been a really weird year for them. But I wonder, like. I mean, for me, because the quarterfinals suck, and if we get USC and TCU winning out this weekend, that means I can just bypass the quarterfinals because they're going to be a gigantic waste of my time because the <laughs> USC is getting steamrolled by Georgia and TCU is getting steamrolled by Michigan if that's what happens. Um, but what could be fun and interesting is one Georgia for Ohio State in the quarterfinal and two, uh, or you flip Michigan to one and then you put Georgia two and you get two Georgia, um, three Ohio State, four Bama, one Michigan. That would be 
fun. And I think those two would be highly competitive and can go a lot of different ways. It would piss off uh, a lot of the folks who want something different, I think. But actually, the, that, the result for those two would be be wild. And I mean, Tennessee should be there. I've said all year that the four best teams in college football went healthy is uh, Tennessee, Georgia, Ohio State, and Michigan. And I think most would probably agree with that to this point. Um, Tennessee finished number one in offense um, with the healthy hooker and everything else that I, I think they would have been there um, and should be. But if you have an unhealthy Tennessee team that lost that game, I would just pencil <laughs> in Alabama. And those are the four best four right now. Um, I don't know. Is that a hot take that those are the four best and that would give us the four best or the two best quarterfinal games? I don't think so. I mean, I'm not sure. First of all, it's semifinal games. It's not quarterfinal games. Or keep semifinals, quarterfinal. excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not sure those semifinal games are great either. If I'm if I'm being honest with you, probably better. But you don't think both are close? I mean, maybe close as in what the score final score looks like. But I don't think there are games you really have a doubt who's going to win. I have a doubt know, for both. I would have a doubt. I think it's really really hard to repeat. And I think it's really, really hard for Georgia to run the gauntlet of Ohio State and Wisconsin and Michigan back to back. That's um, yeah. I, I, I don't think Georgia's as good a, this year as they were last right. year. So I, I mean, they've they've got some really close calls against Mizzou and Kentucky, and I don't care if they were like kind of fluky. It's, it was not a close call against Kentucky. Let's stop that right now. Kent that, State was in doubt. Was I thought all the uh, golden flashes were right Kentucky. there. Yeah, I, I mean, sir. Uh, there was I, not a I, second in that game that they, anyone watched and thought Kentucky was winning. Not one I, second. I mean, any of you definitely not. Definitely not. But they should have beat the crap out of them. I mean, if Tennessee yes. can beat them by by almost 40, I feel I mean, like. They gave up a 99-yard uh, touchdown drive to Kentucky. They I don't know. I, I, I will I will say that was poor wording on my part that no, Kentucky was not in any way probably ever going to win that game, but Georgia should have beat the crap out of them. And Mizzou led them sure. for like 55 yeah. or 60 minutes earlier in the season. I just, I think they're beatable when they're like, the Tennessee game is honestly a perfect example because when Georgia is on, they're unbeatable. Like when they actually show up and they're like, we're going to score 50 points on you and you're going to score seven points. They're unbeatable. The problem is if someone catches them, like, I, I don't know, just sleeping. And I guess in the college football playoff, they that wouldn't really happen because Kirby Smart's just not going to let them do that. Bingo. Like, uh, still at, at the same point, like, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're unstoppable in my opinion. I, I think someone, especially Michigan-Ohio State, two teams that I think are really good, Michigan better, but I, I think someone could dance with them. I think so too. I, I think Ohio I think, State could still dance with them, and I think it would be – um, I don't know. I, I think it would be more interesting than uh, USC or TCU trying to do anything. Uh, I don't really hate them. USC either, to be totally honest. I think USC is considerably better than TCU. Would you agree there? The, the, the defense, defense is, is so, so bad. bad. Like, I mean, so bad. We thought I, t- like would, they have a worse defense than Tennessee. They have I a worse defense a, because at least Tennessee is good at something. Bit. Like Tennessee is good at rush defense. Like Tennessee is actually good at that. <clears throat> USC has no positive. They are not good at one thing. <laughs> yeah. I just they will get wrecked by one of those teams. I mean, Caleb Williams will put up bonkers numbers and do what he can, but no, that's uh, it's not not going to go well. Um, I guess you would hope it's like maybe you get Oklahoma, Georgia all over again from the Rose Bowl with USC. In Georgia, but I just I, I, don't. I just don't think I none of them no team 
I feel like this season, at the beginning of the season, people are like, oh, it's Georgia and Alabama again. And then we saw what happened to Alabama. And then Georgia struggled against Missouri. I just don't think any of them are really, really, really good. I think mm. I think chaos could absolutely happen. I'm still picking the field against Georgia. It is Saban has only won the national hit one back to back once. Once. It's really, really hard. And now with an expanded playoff and having to win two playoff games, I just I I don't think they're doing it. Until I see it back to back is so freaking hard that I just I'm picking somebody else, and maybe that's Michigan. Maybe it's TCU. Maybe it's USC. Maybe it's uh, because God hates us all, Alabama, and we'll see. Like after the season, final, they sneak it. <laughs> I, I don't people see don't think anyway. that they'll get in. By the way, and I'm like, if TCU loses, remember where TCU started? They started at what seven in that first poll? They're behind Bama, right? Like I seem to recall the first poll, they were behind Bama, and they've just been getting the benefit of the doubt because they're undefeated. This and the other. The committee gets one opportunity to drop them for a loss and they don't win the conference. I think they're getting punted into the sun. Where I it's think like the only way Alabama makes it in is if TC loses by 50. If if they get absolutely boat raced by Kansas State, then and and USC finds a way to lose, I think maybe. Yeah. But even then, I mean a one loss TCU. And yes, they've squeaked their way out of stuff, but like they're still winning at the end of the day. They still have good wins. But I, I mean, I agree with you. They're not one of the. I, I think Alabama would boat race them. I think Alabama would win. Well, I mean, what does TCU have? What's a better win for than Alabama? What's a better win? They beat Texas. Texas I mean, so did Bama. Alabama has te- yeah. That, that's I mean, TCU wins yeah. twelve at the very least. Alabama they have Texas. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm Ethan. I think what you said is what should happen. Like. Alabama should only get in over TCU if TCU just gets absolutely yeah. throttled. But I don't have any confidence that's what the committee is going to do. I think the committee will see the chance to put Alabama yes. a big yeah. brand in over TCU, and they'll they'll take it. I mean, they they shouldn't, in my opinion. I think TCU has done enough that they shouldn't get jumped by Ohio State unless they lay the egg of all eggs uh, tomorrow. But it's hard to – have much confidence in the committee to not give the benefit of the doubt to the big brand. And especially when it's a brand as small as TCU, we're not, it's not like it's Texas or something yep. here representing the big 12. It's, it's a little old Texas Christian. Yeah. yeah. They didn't want to put Cincinnati in last week or last year. It was Cincinnati yeah. went undefeated. They, it no, was they, just, their they hands were tied. Cincinnati forced them. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. people are like, Oh, they broke through and we have this. It's like, no, they forced their hand. Like screaming, crying what... and Oakland. kicking the committee had to put <laughs> Cincinnati at four. Okay. Oklahoma State came this. Yes. Yep. Cincinnati not doing it, essentially. Right. I agree. Um, Ryan, your favorite game to cover this year was what? It's got to be Alabama. I mean, mm. that. Yeah. Just a, an unbelievable, an unbelievable game, and obviously the way that it ended, it just flipped on a on a switch in like twenty five seconds of game. You know, maybe forty five seconds of game time where you felt confident that Alabama was going to get a good field goal look at it and then Bill O'Brien refused to run the ball and they got a tough field goal look at it miss it and then boom it's all right Tennessee's got a chance so oh my gosh Tennessee's got a kick and boom everybody's on the field and uh that from obviously the game being incredible uh to having to change you know my story hectically writing to change my story uh there late was was all a ton of fun and then you know being down uh, on the field after waiting about I think what it ended up being 75 minutes from the time the game ended until Heupel got to the podium to talk. It was it was a crazy night and an unbelievably fun game to, to be at and a fun game to cover. 
Ethan, what was your favorite game to watch this year? My fa- I I have one I have one to cover because at SDS they make us do it remotely on mm. first certain games. I have a least favorite, and I, I it's it's just so perfect. I just have to say it. I feel like, and th- and that's Michigan State and Indiana uh, a couple weeks ago. It was my least favorite because I had my thing written because you know uh-huh. Michigan State's up like fourteen, and if they win, they get bowl eligibility. They're like five and I guess five and six at that point. I'm not hundred percent sure, but. No, they're five and five because they lost their last two and then they went five, five and seven. Mm. But Michigan State, they're leading by like 14 with like four minutes left. And I'm like, all right, perfect, because we have to click submit the second the game ends. And, you know, it's like 500 words or so and it goes up on the site. And so I have it all written out and I'm just sitting there, you know, hands above the head because I'm like, oh, I killed this. You know, this is already <laughs> done. I can I can just kind of chill here for a little bit. And then Indiana becomes the best team like in, in college football. They tie the game. And then, so I'm like, you know, trying to trying to rewrite it. And then Indiana goes all the way back, and they have like a chip shot 29-yard field goal to win it. So I'm like, okay, perfect. He's going to make this. I've made my changes, and Indiana can have it. And then he misses <laughs> to overtime. And then, you know, they play that game back and forth. And then Indiana gets another chance to win the game. And I'm like, all right, perfect. It's another like 30-yard field goal. He misses <laughs> that one too. <laughs> <laughs> the, the same thing happens in double overtime. Michigan State does the same thing. They get down there with like a 30-yard field goal, and he misses it. And I'm like, okay, I'm about to <laughs> get off. I'm about to just quit my job, I guess, because, you know, we're just going to keep playing this game forever. And then finally Indiana decided they wanted to win, and they scored a touchdown. Did mm. it the proper way. Yeah, but I, I hated that one. My favorite to cover was, I mean, my favorite to watch was Tennessee-Alabama because that was just, I mean, the best game of the year, uh, I feel like, by kind of a mile and a half. For Tennessee fans especially, for them to go out in the way they did with the field goal, making it by that much, I mean, it's just something you're going to remember for the rest of your life. So I, I'd say that one. I think people are going to uh, – I hope people don't forget the LSU game. Like, coming into that one, the context where it's like, uh, it should help. They're playing at 11 a.m. LSU time. But, like – that was one that was just before the year a toss-up game, and it was very much not a toss-up. And seeing how like just the dominance and just blowing them out, and just the way that game went, uh, the early fumble, and it was just a train wreck from beginning to end for LSU and just what Tennessee was. I feel like that was an early statement where it's like, oh, this year it's going to be different. Where it's like the mm-hmm. you look at the rest of the schedule and you're like, I think they're only not going to be favored in two more games after this, and that's that's huge because beating Florida and Pitt's one thing, but then going to LSU is another. Um, the Florida game was not fun. There was, I was there. It was it was yeah. all nauseating. Like that was one of the most nauseating football games I've ever been a part of. Uh, up until it. the very end, where I'm just like, they're not going to do this. They're not going to yep. do this. Oh my god! <laughs> and sitting next to Florida fans who were like just the nicest people, but we were a lot of Gators were passed around and getting stabbed in the second half of that one. Just like the air getting taken out of those. It was just that the, it was so tense. For that game i'll like that's the most tense i've ever felt in neil and you could feel it with everyone around you it's just like oh my god it's happening like you could just feel it happening and it still didn't feel great up until that last play like i think people might forget just how close florida came to actually winning <laughs> that football game enough to be honest yes <laughs> is, a competent team wins that game florida <laughs> right offense wins that Tennessee game, gave that game times. away <laughs> like I was like they're they're gonna lose they've already yeah. lost I was like Aaron just go ahead and turn the tv off because I can't watch this <laughs> no it was it was horrible um well there you go um let's do this what were you most right about this season before the year uh with Tennessee football and what were you least or most wrong about Ethan that is a tough one to put me on the spot with I'd say 
Hmm. I'd say I was most correct, but I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of unfair because I feel like national people didn't think Tennessee was going to be any sort of threat in the SEC East. I remember everyone was saying it was going to be Kentucky and Georgia and that game was going to decide the East. And it's just like, okay, scoff. Well, like, what are, what are we doing here? Kentucky Speaking is not about Kentucky. Kentucky is not messing with Georgia. The, this They're not early. messing with Tennessee. Like has Josh Heupel <laughs> ever thought since he's been the head coach of Tennessee that he would ever lose to Kentucky? I don't think so. I think he <laughs> looks at this game every year and he's like, this offense, you're not like, you just can't score enough. It's not happening. Like your style is not beating my style any I'd given year. I'd say it's a bit of a cop-out, but I'd say just Tennessee being number two in the East. I was pretty dead set on that mm. the, entire, the entire time from the beginning. I, I just didn't think there was anyone really that could fight with them for it. And the thing I was most wrong about, probably Jalen Hyatt. I, mm. I, I don't think I thought he was going to have the year he did. I, I thought he was just going to be that guy that forever never broke out and that Tennessee fans were waiting on to break out and then just never happened. And then he scores 15 touchdowns and has one of the best receiver years in Tennessee football history. So, you know, I, I was I was very incorrect about that. Ryan, what about you? Uh, I'd say I was most incorrect about the offensive line. Uh, mm. I thought that was going to be a much bigger weakness that would kind of hold back the offense to at least some degree. I mean, I still thought the offense would be really good, but they weren't great running in short yard situations last year. And I thought that really capped uh, the ceiling of the offense. And I thought that would be an issue again. And then I was just very uncertain of what Tennessee would have at left tackle and not confident in Gerald Mitzi and Jeremiah Crawford for the first two months of the season, the offense line couldn't have been any better. I mean, they were incredible. They converted every third and short Mincy and Crawford both ended up playing and both played well in, in games. And I think you go back to the Alabama game and you look at, Tennessee dominated on the offensive line against mm -hmm. Alabama. Now, the last month of the season, I think they kind of came back down to earth a little more of what I might expect before the season. But still, uh, I would say I was right about that. I would say you admitted the comment earlier about, you know, you said they would have a loss they shouldn't. I said all offseason, I thought the South Carolina game was very losable. Now, South Carolina was so bad during the season, and Tennessee was better than I expected that <laughs> they talked me out of thinking that game was losable. But it turned out to be right. Uh, Can we also sidebar on this? I want to rule, and I will go to my grave with this one. If you play South Carolina at noon on Saturday, I don't think that result happens. I think <laughs> when you listen, to, I was reading the comments from Kansas State players. They haven't played an 11 a.m. game in like two months, and they talk about that like that's what they would kill for because they're like night games for players are a disaster because we're just walking around pacing. We overthink stuff. We get in our own heads. Like you just you don't have as much to do. It's just it's not good. It's not good for these 18, 19, 20-year-old kids when you have a lot on the line and you're just pacing around the I don't we play South Carolina at noon every time they're here and we'll be back early in the year. It's gonna be hot. They're gonna beat the shit out of South Carolina based on everything that has happened since the South Carolina game. Very much excited for that one, uh, without Marcus Satterfield coming in uh to Knoxville. Um, but like just don't play the South Carolina game at, at, at night anymore. Let's just let's just make a deal. We're not playing Williams Price at night. That's our deal. If you want to keep playing in South Carolina every other year, and when we get rid of division, do you want us to keep this rivalry or you want us to keep playing? No more night games in Williams Price. I'm out. Can't do it. Columbia. We're done. Mark, well, a couple of thoughts. Um, the, the night game stuff in Columbia is unbelievable. Whatever yeah. it is now, I think five straight, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, five straight night games in, in Columbia, not a single night game in Knoxville in that same time yep. frame. Not sure Marcus Satterfield leaving is a good thing for Tennessee. I think South Carolina 
Dodson. Then they got yeah. him out of that program. I don't know. We'll see. He had, he had two good games. <laughs> two, two good games. games. And he was but they might go worse. That's the whole thing. It's like it might be worse. South. I, I, I had to cover a couple of South Carolina games this year. And mm. I mean, it made me want to gouge my eyes out genuinely. Like, like they, I'm they, personally they, hoping Byron McClendon is the next South Carolina offensive coordinator. That's That name is a blast from the past. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, th- I yeah, want to think um, it was when they were playing Mizzou. South Carolina genuinely had some of the worst offense I have ever seen in my life. Spencer Rattler was like under throwing five yard out. Right? And it's like, what are we doing right now? Like, how are you guys calling tally? <laughs> but I, and, and to see that to nine touchdowns against Tennessee, I mean, it was it was an ethereal experience. Genuinely, <laughs> it was one of the worst nights of the year for me. It was it was, it was yeah. pretty pretty horrific. I feel, like, I feel like most Tennessee fans feel that. It was horrific in so many ways. Tonight, tonight I earned my big, you know, those are the nights you earn your big J status. Having <laughs> to sit, sit in the press box and write about that miserable experience. Um, I'm getting in fights. Yeah. I'm getting escorted out of the press box that night. <laughs> where I'm like, this is bullshit. I don't care that it's not fair. It's not fair. Blake Hotmeyer. I don't Play care. Again. It's not Small. fair. <laughs> Neutral I, My more... Uh, or a more accurate thing of what I was right about. And we really talked about it, Chase, the week before the South Carolina game mm. on the podcast, where in the fall camp, I was like, he's got six cornerbacks that are all the exact same. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to be any good, but all six of these guys can play. And through injuries, through bad play, Tennessee rotated six corners who like all started this year and all played at the exact same. Maybe not the exact same, but they all played pretty poorly. I think Wesley and, Wright might start at corner in the bowl game. <laughs> <laughs> he re- he really might, and I mean, That's what I, I, I mean, I had, crazy. People, I had people texting me during the South Carolina game that was like, "Let me watch William Wright on the field before they ever put." Kamal Wait, is it William or Wesley there. Wright? Wesley Walker, and I guess William Wright. Yeah, William Wright. Yeah, yeah. They're like, play to walk on. They actually didn't know his name. They're like, play mm. to walk on every <laughs> single snap before you ever let Kamal Haddon back on that field to embarrass <laughs> our program. And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't think you're necessarily wrong. Let's put Charlie Taylor at corner in the ball game. Let's see what Went he on. does. Playoffs, Chuck. Postseason, Chuck. <laughs> Brian Erlacher, 054. I've never seen a coach throw an uh, unintentional jab at a player in a press postgame press conference like that. Tony Vitello sitting up there after game one of the Knoxville Regional, looking at Charlie Taylor's batting average of 054, going, Brian Erlacher. <laughs> The biggest assault I've ever seen. Assault. <laughs> <laughs> you literally just killed a man, Tony. <laughs> and he was one of your players. Uh, I'm very happy you brought up the Kamal Hatton thing, Ryan. I've wanted to talk about this for so long. <laughs> that, was, that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. My man was getting cooked five mm. yards off the ball. <laughs> and then he, he talked so, he'd, so much. Trash. It's like, what are you doing? You're, you've given up three touchdowns, 700 yards receiving. What are we doing right now, Kamal? <laughs> the sad thing is, like, you go into next year, Tennessee fans, are, and I tell my family, like, where they're like, oh, who's going to be in the secondary next year? And I'm like, mostly the same. Like, I don't think you're going to see much change. Like, they don't play young guys like that. Like, it's just not, they'll be in the building, like, where there's a lot more talent. That if they have to go there because of injuries, they'll be there. They'll probably get subbed in a little bit, but it's not like a rotation like the defensive line. Like you're not going to see them unless they physically have to put them out there. Like I'm excited as the next guy for Jordan Matthews and Ricky Gibson, but like 
I'm gonna guess it's like Warren Burrell and like I don't know Christian Charles like next year Brandon Turnage Kamal Haddon I I don't think we're gonna Sean like, Rucker yeah Dude, like buddy. I don't <laughs> prepare yourselves yeah if you're expecting like a whole new makeover for this Tennessee secondary next year I think you might be mistaken there's the more portal. depth and talent probably but I think the players the key cogs is you're just gonna get a lot more Wesley Walker is basically the only difference here I think get about seven defensive backs from the portal Josh. That's that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Tennessee fans think it's how it works. Like we'll just get rid of all of them and start over. Like come all all of them. Like we're just all enter the portal and then we'll just re, uh, we'll just put in uh, a, a bunch of new portal guides. And I'm just like that's not not gonna happen. Mm. And uh, it's gonna be Jalen McCullough and Wesley Walker back there, and we're gonna love it. It's gonna be great. Um. Well. Uh. Well, guys, let's end on this. Bowl game final prediction. What do you think ultimately happens, uh, Ryan? What bowl game do you think ultimately happens here? I'll say that finally one of USC and TCU loses. Ohio State gets in, and, and Tennessee goes to the Orange Bowl to play. Play mm. either Clemson or North Carolina, and hopefully Clemson. Uh, I want North Carolina to re- redo the craziness of uh, the Derek Dooley era of how that game finished. Let's do that redux. I, I don't know how – we just sat here for four minutes and – labored the point of how bad Tennessee's secondary is. And then in the next breath, you said, yeah, let's play Drake May instead of DJ. <laughs> yes. However you pronounce his last name. You want to uh, go Which, yes. Mm-hmm. What yeah. you said. Um, but Wait, are you ready this. for Nico Iamaliava? Have you gotten that one down? Are you done? Are you good? Better. I'm not sure I'm where I need to be. I don't know. So you a lot can't of work, say it so fast. It's done. one you can never say fast. But what I said to somebody last Saturday, when it looked like Senate before the uh, Kirk Herbstreet leaked the news that Penn State was going to go to the Rose Bowl, you want to talk about a game with two quarterbacks that look like a million <laughs> bucks but aren't very good? Tennessee with Joe Milton versus Clemson with DJ and the Orange Bowl is the game for you. <laughs> I uh, I'll say this, and this is a, a sidebar, and I, I'm curious if y'all agree with this. True or false, Nico is starting by the after the bye at home against Texas a on October 14th. It's a lot. I'll say true if Tennessee doesn't bring in a transfer quarterback like they should. Ethan, do you agree? I want to think I want to think true also, probably. I I think I'm Nico really- starting week one, if they don't have like the commitment to Joe where it's like for the culture and the cut like he stuck around. The locker room likes them. Yes. Yeah. I he's just... going to have to be bad, and I'm not going to enjoy the early part of the next year. He's going to have to be bad enough for the locker rooms. Like, yeah. we, just, we, we don't have we a choice here. It, yeah. We, was, I, I feel like people were really, and me included, were not necessarily crowning Joe Milton, but like, okay, he's taken legitimate steps from last year. At least, like, you know, he's not overthrown. And then the Vanderbilt game happened. It's like, yeah, that looks. People that were like, oh, it's raining. And I'm like, he was still one for eight. What were we talking about? He was over. Like, the rain was not causing him to overthrow yeah, squirrel. Yeah, that that part I was like, oh man, Joe, that was not your best showing. Now I mean, he's still got a year until under Josh Heupel, no less, to to maybe hone that that deep ball a little bit. But <laughs> he's had uh, a we, long. We, <laughs> Look he's, at Ryan, you're gonna... he's 
He's so. I, for one, I'm glad that I did not buy into the Joe Milton hype during the season, and that I stuck with. I don't think this guy's very good. No, no, that that's that's right. That that's what I was getting at, though. Is like, okay, if you've had four or five years to hone this deep ball and it still hasn't happened, I thought maybe this season that it had finally happened, and then the Vanderbilt Vanderbilt thing happened, and I was like, uh, I. I'm not sure. So I think I think to answer your question, I'd say yes, Nico will probably be, be in there sooner rather than later. Um some throw in the Vanderbilt game of he had a lot of overthrows. I think Josh Lyon, Ethan and I's buddy from the Deacon, I was sitting beside him. He had a counter. I think at one point he had eight overthrows. I don't know what he what he ended <laughs> no, up at. It was unbelievable. It was it was vintage Joe Milton in that Vanderbilt game. But the throw that's like okay, the overthrows for one thing. Mm. The throw that's like you can't miss this throw if you're starting quarterback at Tennessee with the Princeton fan play. Classic yeah. Josh Eiffel, busted coverage, Princeton fan, 20 yards down the yeah. field. It's a touchdown. Middle of the field, wide open, no one near him. Simple pitch and catch, incomplete pass. Like it, <laughs> you cannot miss those throws. It was the throw that he missed to Cedric Tillman yeah. in the first quarter of the pit game last year. Like Those are easy throws. During the ball 50 yards down the field, whether you overthrow them or not, there's a degree of difficulty in making that throw. There was no degree of difficulty in making that throw to Princeton fan, and Milton missed it. Like those are the layups that he, he just can't miss. I can't I wait to be back, and I missed the like seeing the early season Milton experience two years ago in yeah. the building was an, a, like just saying, "Put in Harrison, what are we doing? <laughs> this is the guy." It's a shame that no one was giving dollars for these tickets. <laughs> It's a shame that nobody, even UNLV's coaches, would yeah. not give Harrison Bailey a fair shake. Play him. Give him a fair shake. He, <laughs> he, he was a five-star. He's, he's bound to get better at some point. He was a five-star. <laughs> there will be folks in the building. Like, I mean, just, I don't know. I the It's just a tradition unlike any other. And I, it, folks, I just I highly encourage you if you can, and Joe will be under center for at least the start of next year. Go to a Tennessee football game with Joe Milton um, and just experience Tennessee fans. The gasp, because when it comes out of his arm, there's nothing There's nothing like it. Like the, It yeah. just looks amazing. It looks like something special is about to when happen. It works, it's one of the prettiest things ever. Yes. I mean, when, it, when it works, the few I mean, times it does. It's jaw-dropping. It's jaw-dropping. Yes. <laughs> the problem is it happens maybe once or twice a game. <laughs> I maybe... Told, I think I might have told the story in here back in the spring, but you know, they since you didn't have a spring game, but they had a, a scrimmage on Hasman practice field today, let the media watch. And so we're standing in the end zone uh, and practice field's like 80 yards. So they're starting drives at the five yard line. Addison Nichols transitioning to center, was struggling snapping the ball a bit that day. So there was a snap that got past Joe Milton. It was a safety. Down, put the ball at the one yard line. Let's play from there. So Joe Milton drops back from where I'm standing. And just uncorks <laughs> seventy yard ball wasn't even completed, and it mm. was. Just, I was standing there, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I understand. I understand why everyone falls in love with this guy and thinks that they they are the one that can hone in his skills because it's it's unbelievable to watch. I mean, that arm talent is. He should just commit to being a backup. Next level. Like him, he's so devastating. Like going in from a zoo and all, for mop up duty, where you're like, "All right, we're already getting killed," and then you just throw in Joe Milton for ADR bombs in the final five minutes. Yeah, where like he's allowed <laughs> to just freestyle and just throw up seventy yard bombs over and over again. The game's not in doubt. Like he should be the mop up. He's the closer. He's the Mariano Rivera <laughs> of Tennessee it? football. <laughs> it's Joe Milton time. <laughs> when you let, when you just tell Squirrel. White to run straight and then you just wait a laughable amount of time to unleash the pass where like the ball 
Where Wyatt's got like a foot, maybe a step, step and a half on the defender when the ball is unleashed, and then it just goes so far that there's six yards between him and the most, uh, the closest defender. Uh, by the time he catches it, it's just, it's a, it's a thing of beauty, a, a piece of art that is just gorgeous to watch and makes your makes your jaw drop. But then Joe Milton has to do the basic, the simple things right, and makes you pull your hair out. I'm gonna he guess goes, that he's he goes better at the intermediate stuff. Is, is, yeah. I feel like the problem that nobody else is talking about. Everyone everyone says stuff about the overthrows. He's also throwing just ridiculously hard passes. It's like Joe, <laughs> calm down, buddy. Like, like ease up on, on, on whatever you're taking here. You don't have to you can throw this half this speed. It'd be perfect. <laughs> and poor Taven. Like he has no shot. Like the thing with Taven is he might be a good player, but like, man, can you imagine? Like, if you put like if you go Taven if Joe struggles next year, then it's like Taven's got the eligibility. Then you can't go back. And then it's just like Nico. Nico's absolutely entering the portal at that point. Like He's you don't really have a choice here. If it's not Joe, it has to be Nico. Like there's Taven, really no choice uh, choice unless Nico's hurt or something. Taven's in a really rough spot. I, yes. I, I've, I've thought about that several times. I'm not even sure if, I mean, like the immediate reaction is for everybody to be like, "Oh, he's going to transfer," and it's like, I mean, it's it's not as simple as that, you know. <laughs> like, I, mean, I I feel like it's not as simple as that anyway. It, it seems like it on the outside, but you just never know. I mean, you you just never really know what's going. And on. it probably helps at this point. Like, he's learning under one of the best QB coaches in mm-hmm. the sport, and he's not having to play yet. And like, once he's ready, I'm sure they'll help. It's like, hey, all right, I mean, we think you're about ready, but there's obviously no path mm-hmm. um, with Nico yeah. here um, for you to play, and then. I, I, I don't know. I, I would just be very surprised if Taven Jackson uh, is ever the, the franchise guy uh, mm-hmm. here on Rock. No, I just think there's a lot of outside circumstances that might prevent that as well. Um, I don't know. I just don't think that's going to happen. It's like what Taylor Heineke said this <laughs> preseason about Carson Wentz. Yeah. I know how the same works. You're not paying this guy $25 million to be back up. Mm-hmm. He goes not getting that NIL money to not be the starter. It's mm. just the reality of the situation. Yep. Man, that'd be some wild, wild times. But also, it's like we don't really want that. And that's the sad part is like you look at it, Bryce Young. Uh, you look at um, the majority, like J.D. McCarthy still a five-star. You look at Caleb Lamb's five-star. A lot of, lot of talent. And more likely than not, you're going to need that kind of quarterback to win a national title. And uh, Nico is one of those guys. So we'll see. Um, Ethan Stone, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Saturday Down South this week? Yeah, so we'll be obviously covering conference championship games. A lot of good ones this week. Um, it'll be pretty normal coverage on Saturdays for that. And then after that, we'll kind of be chilling out a little bit. Obviously, bowl projections will be coming up from me. Um, I believe Saturday is when we're slated to have those out. So be on the lookout for that. And otherwise, just kind of enjoying the rest of the college football season as we wind down. There you go. Ryan, what about you and the team over at Rocky Top Insider? Yeah, plenty of good stuff. Uh, actually, this morning to much chase doesn't believe it got a story out uh, on mm-hmm. the tennessee football rooting guide uh for a conference championship week a lot of the stuff that we really have gone over uh, on this podcast of what helps tennessee's chances to get to the orange bowl or maybe even the outside shot looking in of uh, getting to the sugar bowl if bama gets into the playoffs so that plenty of stuff uh, on tennessee basketball and then we'll have complete coverage uh, of tennessee versus alcorn state on sunday where the vols are wearing orange jerseys the thompson milling arena mm. oh are they yeah why? Not sure why. Okay. Couldn't tell you, but it's in the game notes. They're wearing orange <laughs> uniforms. So. Hmm. That's too much seventh, orange. Seventh time ever. That's a lot of orange. Um, Ryan Shepard, Ethan Stone, thank you as always. Great to have the group back together, and I will talk to you all very soon. 
Sounds great. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.